today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. How are the pot shops doing? It's been about two years now since uh, cannabis uh, legislation was introduced, federally and provincially, of course. The rollout did not go very well, of course. Uh, and uh, now the number of shops that are being allowed to open uh, is a concern to an awful lot of people on city councils uh, right across the country, in fact. But here in Hamilton, there has been quite a debate about it, uh, about exactly where these are being located and how many are actually popping up these days. John Paul Danko is the uh, city councilor for Ward 8. Uh, he joins us on the Bill Kelly Show to talk about this. Uh, JP, thanks so much for the time. Great to have you with us again today. Good morning, Bill. Thanks for having me on. Uh, let's talk a little bit about, as you see it, over the last two years since this has been introduced. As I mentioned, the rollout was problematic. Uh, I don't know if the province was even ready to be able to do this, but they tried to forge through this anyway, uh, causing a lot of grief and a lot of uh, misunderstanding locally. Uh, are, are things settled down now? Because I know there's a lot more than there were even two years ago, of course, because of the licensing on these things. Uh, and, and the location and the number of these, I think, is a concern to you and a number of your colleagues. Things have calmed down now. So the winter of 2018 and 2019, we had about 80 illegal cannabis stores in the city of Hamilton. And as you recall, it was a major problem for bylaw and for uh, Hamilton Police Services because it was kind of a gray area where they were trying to close them down and they would just pop up somewhere else like mushrooms. And since then, the city of Hamilton opted into cannabis retail within the city and the main reason that we did that was exactly the, the problem of the illegal stores, was to try to offer a legal option and hopefully drive those illegal stores out of business. And for the most part, that's been really successful. We don't have the legal, illegal storefronts that we did, and uh, all of those illegal stores have been shut down. Um, now, since then, the, the rollout, as you mentioned, the provincial rollout was rather slow, so there was only a couple stores um, initially operating. I think we're up to 10 right now that have been cleared to open within the city. But just recently, we've seen a huge balloon of the number of applications that are, that are uh, in the pipeline to the Alcohol Gaming and Commission of Ontario. I think there's around 70 retail applications currently uh, in various stages of approval through the uh, provincial agency, and that becomes to starts to be a, a concern for residents and for council that we're seeing numbers that are upwards of what we had at the peak of the illegal um, stores with uh, with legal retail outlets. Let's let's talk about the impact that's going to have on neighborhoods, and and I, I guess this is as good a time as any to revisit some of the concerns that were expressed even two years ago about the rollout. Uh, proximity to schools, uh, impact of uh, the, the clientele, uh, you know, our kids, even if it's not close to a school, they're going to be passing by in front of these stores, uh, uh, you know, on their way to and from. Uh, and, and well, it's the idea of, of undue influence, I guess, on, on, on kids at that time. Uh, and, and who's actually allowed to buy and sell these products as well. Are those still major concerns? They are concerns for residents. And when we, when we opted in, the city of Hamilton uh, brought in what we considered to be Hamilton regulations, what we would like to see. And we, we asked for a 300-meter buffer between schools, daycares, parks, rec centers, addiction and mental health centers, and from between each other, so between stores. Now, the provincial regulation, the only um, criteria they have is 150 meters from schools. And a lot of those concerns that you raised um, are definitely concerns that are in the neighborhood. Um, things as simple as just the visibility of the signage and uh, promoting cannabis use is, you know, where children would pass this on their way to school and they, they know, oh, that's a, a, you know, a cannabis store and what's going on there. And uh, 
I think access to miners is also uh, a concern for neighborhoods. In my ward in particular, we're seeing a number of stores being located specifically near Mohawk College. And, you know, you can start post-secondary education when you're 17 nowadays. So I think there's, there's concern about um, who exactly is going to be, you know, consuming the cannabis that's sold there. And then there's just kind of the everyday concerns about these stores, um, proximity to residences, parking issues and traffic because a lot of these stores don't have normal business hours. They have, they're open late and uh, there can be traffic and, and parking problems at all hours of the night. So a lot of those concerns are, are still present in the neighborhoods, notwithstanding that, of course, cannabis is a legal product and it is legal to be consumed and sold, and we recognize that. But that doesn't stop the, uh, you know, the concerns that residents do have about these stores. Are you surprised by the number of applications that are, you know, pending at this stage? I don't know how many are actually going to go through, but I mean, technically, they could all go through, uh, and and then you're going to have concerns about, as you say, that 300 meter uh, distance thing. But at the same time, <laughs> you're flooding the market right now with these stores. And uh, does the province have any uh, idea at all about about regulating this to the number of stores uh, because of that and uh, and the impact it's going to have on community? Or is it really just a free-for-all that whoever wants to apply, yeah, bring those apps in, in. Let's see what we can do here. Right now, the Alcohol Gaming Commission and um, approval basically seems to be more or less a rubber stamp. So you're seeing stores that are applying and then they're building out their stores and getting building permits. And the second that they get approval, they're open for business because they know that they're going to get approval. Um, If you ask the province, they say that they are looking to the market to regulate the number of stores. But um, just, just in my ward, we have eight applications, five are all along the Upper James Corridor. And if you, you break that out, that works out to be about one cannabis store for every three or 4,000 people who are over the, over the age of 19 in Ward 8. And that number starts to be a little ridiculous. And I think um, in a lot of neighborhoods, you know, they're not happy about one store setting up, but they definitely don't want two or three or four um, all within the same block um, in, in, their, in their communities, and rightfully so. What are you hearing from your constituents about this? There's an awful lot of concern initially two years ago, uh, but as a city councilor, you know that an awful lot of people will complain, and even if they find out, oh no, everything's going to be all right after all, they don't usually call and say, "Hey, I was wrong," uh, but and, but it does tend to, to peter out after a little bit. Are you still getting a lot of areas of concern? People calling about location and 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 the kinds of businesses that are are locating in some of these areas. I think people recognize that again that it's a legal product and it's legal to consume and there there's a legal retail aspect to this. I think what people are surprised about is just the complete lack of control by the province. So when people find out that um that there's an application in their neighborhood, we send out notice through our newsletters. There's only a 15-day window um to comment. And really, the Alcohol Gaming Commission in the province is not concerned about uh local um you know, concerns that are brought up by residents unless it's related to uh, access to minors. And it's, it seems like that, that local voice is pretty much being shut out by the province. And people are really frustrated about that because they don't feel like they have a voice um, in their community as to, you know, how it's being developed. And there's, there's a really simple solution to this that we asked for way back at the beginning and the province could still implement tomorrow if they wanted to. And that's adding um, a layer of municipal licensing. So adding um, or allowing municipalities to simply license cannabis retail on top of the Alcohol and Gaming Commission 
um, approval process because then we would be able to take into account that, those local concerns and um, be able to control things like um, geographic location and you know some of the, the other local concerns by residents which is exactly what we do with things like um, the money lenders and strip clubs and things like that. Mm-hmm. There's another area to this, too, and it, it's actually the other side of the coin here for the, the people that are making these applications right now, uh, and that's the availability of product. Uh, everybody was ready to jump into this when, when it was legalized a couple of years ago, and I can understand there's a certain enthusiasm say, okay, it's finally going to be legal. But we saw a number of operations or proposed operations, I don't mean stores, but I'm talking manufacturing situations, uh, that have since then put everything on hold uh, because they just said, you know, the market's not there. The market was flooded. Uh, I know people that bought stock in that. Are, 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 it's nowhere near the value it was two years ago. And, and is there a concern now that there may not be enough product? In, in other words, if we have, say, 50 new shops opening up here in the next year or so, uh, is there going to be enough product for them? And you have to wonder about that, which is only going to cause more frustration uh, for the neighborhoods and certainly for the people that are owning the operations. I think uh, with the the availability of product, I think a lot of investors and entrepreneurs kind of saw this as uh, you know a real golden goose and in a way kind of a get rich quick kind of thing almost. And uh, we're we're still in a period of flux where we're figuring out what the market actually is, what the demand is, and how to be able to supply that. But what we've seen in Hamilton, anyway, with with only the the handful of stores that are currently open right now, they seem to be you know pretty much servicing the demand because we don't have that illegal trade that we used to. So, um, like I said, I think we're in a bit of a transition period right now, and it, it, what we need is just more local input into what actually happens. Uh- We'll see how this rolls out in the next little while. But while I've got you here, I also wanted to ask you about uh, a story about uh, the, the lead pipe program that the city is doing. And I know there's a report from staff uh, that you guys are going to be dealing with. And it, it has to do, for people that may not be aware of the circumstance, uh, the replacement of, of, of lead water pipes uh, through the city. And, and it's it's a real concern and has been because it's it's not just a matter of uh, the type of material. It's a, it's a public health concern, obviously. We shouldn't be consuming that stuff. And the fact that our drinking water is going through it is problematic. And it's worse in some areas than others, of course. Uh, with some old infrastructure, there is a program in place. Staff are, are staff recommending acceleration of that program at this point. So this comes from a, a motion by Councillor Marula last mm-hmm. year to look into two things for lead services. So first is a bylaw to impose um, the replacement of lead services when the city replaces our portion. And I think we talked about that um, a few months ago. Yeah. And the second part was options to accelerate replacements. So as of right now, there's about 20,000 lead services currently still in the city. Most of those are you know, kind of the older areas of the city, north of Mohawk and the lower city. And uh, our current program is uh, 25 years where we're spending about $4.1 million a year to replace those lead services. And the report that's coming to Public Works this afternoon is looking for options to accelerate that from a 25-year to a 10-year program and different options in between. Um, We also have uh, an orthophosphate program, which is... um, an additive to the drinking water, which provide it, it creates a protective barrier between the active lead and the piping, so that the lead is not absorbed into your drinking water, and it basically protects users from um, you know consuming the lead that's that's mm-hmm. in the pipe. So that overall has been very protective, but it doesn't 
solve the source problem, which is there's still all of these lead services out there. So as of right now, the staff recommendation is just to stick with the current program. Um, of course, there's a cost implica- implication if we were to accelerate this um, up to the 10 years it would uh, it would add about uh, $33 million over 15 years, which is, it's not undoable. It's not an unreasonable cost. But as of right now, you know, of course, every single budget um, item is being looked at with a fine-tooth comb. So anything that is an, an added expense um, is, uh, you know, is a pretty big concern at the moment. Well, and this has been going on, as you mentioned, for some time, uh, even predating Council Marula's motion. Uh, when Bob Bertino was a city councillor uh, for the downtown area, he instituted a program, or he motivated one anyway, uh, but the consumer, the, the homeowner, had to pay a portion of that too. Because the part that goes into the house actually is, is their responsibility, but there was a, a payback period over a long, number of years. Because uh, it is a real issue here, obviously, the concern about water levels and, and about the, the, the amount of lead in the water. Uh, you chair the, the, the committee and will be later on this afternoon, uh, virtually, of course. Uh, is this an action item? Are you, are you going to anticipate that, that there's going to be a decision made about this today? I'm anticipating there's going to be some discussion about it, um, you know, balancing the cost versus the good that we can do with accelerating the program. Um, I'm not sure what action might might come out of that, but as you say, you know, we want to provide our residents with the best drinking water anywhere and Hamilton we're in Hamilton we're really proud to have uh, you know a really good drinking water um, uh, network and it, it is one of the core services that we supply as a city and we want to make sure that the product that we are providing our residents is as safe and as high quality as possible and it, it just um, you know going back to lead services it is a health problem and uh, you know it's it's something that uh, that a lot of older cities like London, like Montreal, Toronto, any any cities that have that kind of older infrastructure are dealing with. So it's not unique to the city, Hamilton. Now, in the report that you're going to be dealing with today, uh, there's a lot of facts and figures, and you've just uh, highlighted some of them about the cost of both short-term and long-term. Uh, as from the public health standpoint, though, is, is, is the, the medical officer of health and the health department of the city, are they comfortable with the program as it sits right now? I think so. Um, through the again, through well, they, the they probably say they weren't. They agree. I would think it'd be in the report if they weren't happy with it. That's right. And and through the orthophosphate program, we've done everything that we can do to keep the lead in the pipes and not in, so it doesn't be disseminated through the drinking water. Yeah. And that's that's a proven program that a lot of cities are using. It, it is effective. And the sources of lead in drinking water isn't just from the municipal service either. It's homes like mine that were built uh, quite some time ago that have copper piping that were soldered with lead solder. A lot of the fixtures have um, um, plumbing that was uh, that has lead uh, lead in the solder and in components. So just the uh, the 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 water service to your house isn't necessarily the only source of lead. And the, that orthophosphate program. Um, locks in the lead for anywhere that it's within the system. So it is quite effective. Well, we'll see how the uh, committee deals with it later on this afternoon. Uh, As always, John Paul, thank you so much for the time. Really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on, Bill. Take care. John Paul Danko, of course, City Councilor for Ward 8 and the Chair of the Public Works Committee here for the City of Hamilton. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.